The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to seal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the sur surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I, may know, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here today in your presence with brothers and sisters. And uh, it's such an honor and privilege now, Lord, to look at your word. Uh, Father, the, the word we have before us is so beautiful and so amazing. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would do wonderful things in all of our hearts. Do surgery, Lord, to heal us as we look at your word. May this word come to pass for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing through uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. I have loved going through this with you so much. And today we get to break into chapter 3. As I was thinking about this text, this is the way it feels to me. It feels like you were digging a ditch in your yard and you bumped into a chest of gold. I mean, this text digs a hole in my chest and it gives my heart the treasure it needs. That's how I feel about this text. A little background to set this up. I think the main emphasis of chapter 3 is actually found, summarized for you, in verse 1 of chapter 4. So let's glance at Philippians 4, verse 1, very quickly, just to set our text up this morning. Philippians 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, what's he tell them? Stand firm, thus, in the Lord, my beloved. So notice a couple of things. How does Paul feel about these people? We've seen it over and over again. How does he feel? He loves them. He loves them. 
They're his family in Christ. Because of Jesus, as we learned last week, we can have humility in community for this loving unity. And we want to be like that, don't we? And praise God for the ways that we are. But because Paul loves them, he wants them to be able to stand firm through whatever life brings. Stand firm, he says. That's what God wants for us, isn't it? To be able to stand firm. Well, what does that mean? Let me, let me give you a few ingredients, I think, to what Paul means by standing firm in this chapter. Number one, one ingredient, standing firm in this chapter has the idea of maturity in it. By the end of chapter three, he's talking about maturity. You know who you are and what you're about. You've grown up a little bit on the inside. You become mature. That's part of standing firm. Standing firm also has the idea of thriving in it. Thriving. Paul is going to talk about escaping hindrances of the past, leaving them behind, and moving forward in God's design for his life. Part of standing firm is thriving. It's, it's not just the maturity of knowing who you are and what you're about. It's moving forward. It's growing in what God has for you. Third ingredient, standing firm has the idea of stability. No matter what comes, you won't be overcome. You have this firmness in your life that nothing can break, nothing can take. That's what it means to stand firm, a maturity, a thriving, a stability. Doesn't that sound nice? How many of you feel like you're wavering in the other side of that coin? I do. Sometimes don't we feel like instead of maturity, thriving, and stability, we are confused, trapped, overwhelmed, wavering, wandering, wondering? How do we get to a place of maturity and stability and thriving? How do we stand firm like the Lord wants us to? I'm glad you asked. Paul's going to give Christians four steps as we begin this chapter for what it means to stand firm. This is how you stand firm. This is what your heart needs to have that maturity, to to get to that thriving, to have that stability right here. And it is a treasure. So here's our four ideas, our steps this morning that keep us standing firm, that get us standing firm. Number one, remember the safety. There's a safe place to be where we stand firm. Remember the safety. Number two, heed the danger. That means you're going to need to be aware of the things that keep you from standing firm. Heed the danger. Number three, cling to the treasure. Both arms of your heart right here. Cling to the treasure. And four, pursue the goal. So four steps to standing firm, remember the safety, heed the danger, cling to the treasure, pursue the goal. First, the safety. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, what's he tell us to do? Rejoice in the Lord. Then he says, to write the same things to you, it's no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. The main issue on whether or not you'll be standing firm is what you take most joy in. In Philippians, the issue is always about joy. What makes you happy? And are your desires aligned with reality to where you love what you should? 
to where you truly find most desirable that which is most beautiful? Do you love what you ought to love? Whether or not you stand firm is what you love most, and if you have it, and if you love the right thing. So look at what he says. Rejoice, what? In the Lord. Paul knows something about us. We all want to be happy. Anyone not want to be happy? <laughs> Some of you maybe have given up, but you would still would like to be happy. He knows that about you. And I think happiness involves several factors. I'll mention three. Number one, your happiness involves your sense of identity, how you view yourself, your significance, your worth, your acceptance. Number two, your happiness involves your sense of security. Will there be a good future for you? Number three, your happiness involves a sense of satisfaction. Will you, will you see and enjoy beautiful things? Don't you want all three of those things? Don't you need all of those things to be happy? And this is really important to realize because what's the world around you always offering? Oh, a little, little of this and you'll have that identity you need. A little success over here, you'll finally be someone. Or a little of that over here, you'll have security. What do you need to have security? The world's always offering you something. Oh, if you had this, if you had health, if you had this money, if you had this retirement, you had that relationship, this, this is what you would need. Or, or finally, satisfaction. Hey, this over here, this will thrill you. Always a new offer, right? If you take an honest look around you, maybe you'll come to the conclusion like me that the world's offerings don't always come through on their promises. It's not working. Maybe it'll throw you for a little bit. It doesn't last. But you're looking for joy. The world knows you're looking for joy. You can't live without it. It involves these things, identity, security, satisfaction. And look at what Paul says. Finally, finally, my brothers and sisters, hey, land the plane here. What? Rejoice where? In the Lord. In the Lord. I want to emphasize that the last few words of that phrase. Rejoice in the Lord, who's the only one that can give you the identity, security, and satisfaction your heart is longing for? Who's the only one who can offer that to you? Jesus. He's the only one beautiful enough, great enough, kind enough, big enough to meet that need. Rejoice in the Lord. I couldn't help but remember Psalm 81.10. Psalm 81.10. Look at what the Lord says to his people. This is what Jesus is saying to us. I am the Lord your God. And then what does he say? Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Uh, you ever watch animal documentaries? You see the baby bird in the nest? You know, what do baby birds do? You know, that's all they've got to offer to the world. Feed me, you know, and these adult birds kill themselves. Fill in that hole with satisfaction. And God says, hey, you won't... You, you won't wipe me out with this. I'm the all-satisfying one. I'm the giver of all things. I'm totally sufficient. You bring your heart needs, open your mouth wide, and what does he promise? I will fill it. I will fill it. Rejoice in the Lord. So where should we rejoice? In the Lord. And now let's think about that word. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I think it's funny that Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me. So have they heard this before from Paul? Have you heard this before from Paul in Philippians? Rejoice in the Lord. Have I spoken about these things before? 
Yeah, and then what did we all do after we heard it once or twice? We forgot. We forgot. You forgot that he's worthy of your joy. You forgot to put your joy in him. You forgot that it's okay to want to rejoice and that you were made to rejoice, but you need to do it here. You forgot. And he says, to write these things, it's no trouble for me. I need to remind you. And look at what he says. It's, it's what? Did you see the word? It's safe for you. Think about that. What happens if you're not finding your joy in Jesus? Guess what you're now in? Danger. Danger. You are looking to something else other than Christ to meet the need of your heart that only Christ can meet. And friends, if that's you, you're in danger. He says, I'm telling you to rejoice in the Lord because it's safe for you. This is your home base. This is your fortress. This keeps things in line. You want to stand firm, find maturity, thrive, grow, right here. Do what? Rejoice in the Lord. The safety is to cling to joy in Jesus. Now let's look at the danger. The danger you need to be watching out for, listening into, lurking. The danger... Well, you know, if he tells you the joy in the Lord is safe, what do you think the danger is going to get at? Just using, using your brains, common sense. If he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord, that's safe, what do you think the danger is going to want to corrupt or twist or distract? Maybe you're joying the Lord. Check this out. Look at verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Oh, good heavens. Who are these people? Dogs, evildoers, flesh mutilators. Sounds like, a, sounds like a show you'd watch last Thursday, right? It's like a herd of zombies. What is going on? This danger is, oh, it's, it's not what you think. This whole next part of this passage is going to be not what you think. You might find that Christianity was not what you thought after you look through this passage. Paul is talking about first century Jewish evangelists. And we're supposed to listen in for what they teach. Because here's what they're promoting. They're promoting the idea that your righteousness comes through ceremonial religious law keeping. They are saying that to get in, to be acceptable, to be right with God, you need to be circumcised and live according to the Mosaic law. That's what they're saying. Find your righteousness in that religious performance. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? Isn't Christianity right about being a good person? Isn't it about obeying the law? Isn't that what these guys are saying? To be right, you need to obey. Hmm. Why does Paul use such passionate language about them? He calls them dogs. By the way, this is a term a religious Jew would have used for Gentiles. A rejected outsider. And look how Paul has flipped it, inverted it. 
Hey, you who think you're righteous because you're obeying the law, you're actually the outsider. He says they're mutilators of the flesh. Well, they're saying you need to be circumcised to be right with God. And Paul's saying, that's just cutting skin, man. It's not doing anything for actual righteousness. And then, this blows my mind. It should be shocking to you. He calls them evildoers. He calls them evildoers. Now, plug in what you, what you probably know about Jewish religious evangelists. Are they for or against the Ten Commandments? They are for the Ten Commandments. How do they feel about stealing? They're against it. Lying, against it. Sexual integrity, they want it. All the, they are religious. They are passionate about obedience. They never promote explicit sin or rebellion. They're good people. And Paul calls them evildoers. Why? Why? You have to see this. It's so important. Isn't it evil to influence someone away from something that person most needs? What did Paul say the Philippian church need most? What's the safety? Do you remember? Rejoice in the Lord. And what are these religious teachers trying to influence the Philippian church to do? Rejoice in the law. Rejoice in not the Lord. And Paul thinks that is about the most dangerous challenge your soul could ever face. It's dangerous to rejoice in not the Lord. Now notice the connection. Maybe you're seeing it already. Paul wants you to stand firm. He wants us to stand firm. And he starts with where we find our joy. Stand firm by rejoicing in the Lord. And then his second step on helping you stand firm is telling you to be careful about where you find your righteousness. So what's happening then? There's a connection, isn't there then? There must be between joy and where you find your righteousness. Oh, there is a deep connection. In fact, where you find your deepest righteousness is where you discover your ultimate joy. There's a relationship between righteousness and joy. Paul says it's safe for you to rejoice in the Lord. And then these enemies want to come in and ruin your stability by, re by wrecking your joy in the Lord. And the way they do that is by promoting a righteousness other than the Lord. Let's unpack righteousness. I think righteousness involves three things. See what you think. Number one, a standard. In order to be righteous in whatever context it is, you have to have a standard, a set of rules. This is what we do, right? It's a standard. You've got to keep this law. You've got to attain to this. You've got to be like this. If you do, you'll be good enough. There's a standard. Then there's the test. The test is, all right, let's have a look. Did you keep it? Did you make it? Did you do it? Did you obey it? And then third, there's a reward. If you did, you're in. And if you didn't, you're out. Righteousness, standard, test, reward. And this is such a big deal, you guys. The reality of where your heart finds its righteousness affects every aspect of your life. 
your relationships, your mind, your heart, your emotions. Tim Keller compares your your righteousness to the resume of your heart. You ever gone in for a job interview? What did you bring in with you? Your resume. And what's the resume say? Stuff I can do. Stuff I've done. And then the person looking at the standard considers whether or not you've kept the law. And if you have, then you're in. And if you haven't, then you're out. Your righteousness is the resume of your heart. Hey, think about it. You remember going to, going to high school and it's, it's the fall and you're excited and you walk in and what are you hoping? What are you hoping for? Anybody remember that? For some of you, it was a long time ago. You remember that? You're hoping you'll get in with somebody. And how are you going to get in? I remember what I was worried about. Did you dress right? Did you act right? Did you look right? Were you funny enough? Were you nice enough? What, am I, what are we holding up that first day of school? Our righteousness. And what are we hoping for? We let me in. Romance. Romance. You got a resume? You pretty enough? You got enough potential? Nice enough? Here's a resume. Dating by works, right? <laughs> Will you let me in? Your career? We're always having to prove our righteousness. I'm good enough. Let me in. And it's not just to others. It's to ourselves. It's to ourselves. What's the standard your heart uses to measure yourself? Are you good enough? Did you make it? The Jewish evangelists are teaching righteousness by keeping the law. That's probably not what you're concerned with today. Keeping the Mosaic law. Maybe it is. I don't know. But but probably not. But you're concerned with something. You're concerned with something. I want to ask you this, and I hope you can find it. What's your counterfeit righteousness? Where do you tend to feel a haunting despair that you are not good enough? You are not sufficient. You have not made it. And if people saw the real resume of your heart, you'd be out. What is it? What is it? Sometimes it's parenting. If my kids were just good enough, then I'd be good enough. If I was just good enough pastor, and my church just had enough of this or that, would I finally be in? If I just had that kind of job or career, or if I just had the approval of those people, or if I was just bold enough or intellectual enough, or if I could just kick that habit, if I could just get out from under my past, if I could just find out what is it that haunts you, that makes you think you are, you're not in, you can't be in, it's over for you. Friends, anything other than Jesus for righteousness is what Paul calls the flesh. The flesh. From verses 2 to 4, he mentions the flesh four times. Four times. He's, and the flesh is something good you think you can accomplish that will make your resume good enough to get you in. It can sound so good and is the most dangerous trap there is for your soul. Let me say it like this. 
In a manner of speaking, your biggest problem is not your sin. In a manner of speaking, your biggest problem is your counterfeit righteousness. It's your fake righteousness. It's looking to the wrong thing to make you right. And so the danger, Paul wants you to heed. He wants you to listen up. In the Philippians case, it was listen up to the false teachers. But it's also, hey, listen up to what the world's telling you. Listen up to what other influences you're in life are telling you. Listen up to what your heart is telling you about what makes you good enough, about what gets you in. Listen up. And if it's not Jesus, remember, what's the first step to standing firm? Rejoice in the Lord. Watch out for ideas or influences or pushes that make you find your righteousness in something you can do, in something not the Lord. That's the danger to heed. Now look at the treasure. Paul is working so hard to tell this church that they did not arise to be the people of God out of their self-accomplishment. It wasn't according to the flesh. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. This is what Paul says with the Philippians. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put, what? No confidence in the flesh. How much? Confidence in the flesh? None. We're the circumcision. Remember he called the false teachers mutilators of the flesh? What they're doing to the body, they've missed the inward reality. And Paul says, we have it. If you trust Jesus, the real circumcision has happened to your heart to give you a soft heart to want to know him and love him and follow him and delight in what he's done for you. That's the real thing. We are the circumcision with the changed heart. Did you change your heart? Did you change your heart towards the Lord by obeying more, by trying harder? No. We are those who worship by the Spirit of God. Why did we get changed? Why did our eyes get open? How did our hearts get soft? Was it something we accomplished? No, it was the Holy Spirit coming to us, visiting us, working in us. He says, we put no confidence in the flesh. Listen, Paul is, you'll rarely see Paul write so passionately as he does in this passage. And he is so passionate about this because he has tried righteousness according to the law and let him tell you he is never going back. He is never going back. He finds it absolutely revolting. He says, by the way, I can beat the false teachers at their own game. I have played this game and I would demolish all of them. I win. Look at verses 4 to 6. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What you're seeing here is Paul is saying, I have the pedigree. I have the pedigree. I was circumcised on the eighth day. According to the law, I'm a, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. That's a tribe that stayed loyal to David. I've got it all ethnically. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, born and raised. I speak the language. 
I have the pedigree. Not only that, he says, I have the performance. Buckle up. Look at this. As to the law, a Pharisee. You want to play law with me? Paul says, I've got it memorized. I not only keep the laws in the law, I keep the laws we've invented about not breaking the laws in the law. Don't play law keeping with me. I will demolish you. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, come on. He's out in the streets. He's in your face. He's not ashamed. As to, look at what he says. As to righteousness under the law. What does he say? Blameless. I kept the rules with unbelievable fervor. I've played that game. I can beat all the false teachers at their game. But now, in order to win, Paul says, I'm ready to lose. Look at what he says in verse 7. Whatever gain I had, that's his pedigree, that's his performance, that fleshly law-keeping, whatever gain I have, I count it as what? Loss. I don't want it anymore. I'm letting go of it now. It's gone for me. That is not what I look to for my righteousness. He's very serious about it. Verse 8, he says, For Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And he says, I count them as rubbish. You know, New Testament interpreters really struggle with the word rubbish. Because if we say rubbish, we can pretend like we're British. And it's just taking out the trash. And it's in a clean, white, plastic bag. It's not that big of a deal. That's really not what the word means. Uh, probably the best translation would be crap. Except he doesn't, except when we say crap sounds silly, so it sounds funny. But he means it to be, it's a pile of poop. Okay? Do you hear what he's saying? His blamelessness according to the law when it comes to his righteousness, that smells like a pile of poop. Remember the last time you smelled one of those? You don't, you don't like it, you don't want it. Folks, he's very serious about this. Do you remember when he says, as far as zeal? What did he say after that? I was a persecutor. You've seen what Paul's great love is throughout this letter. Who does Paul love? Well, number one, he loves Jesus. And number two, who does he love? He loves his church. He loves this church so much. And his great sorrow, you see it in so many of his letters, his great sorrow was that in his past, what did he do? He persecuted violently the church, and he never quite gets over it. It's just, it breaks him that it's there. He can't, be, can't believe he would do something like that, but he knows why he did it. Because here's the reality. When you believe your righteousness is something you can do, one of two things will happen. You will either be crushed by it. In other words, if I was just a good enough pastor and had these things, and then over time, I don't get those things, what must I believe about myself? I'm not enough. I'm crushed. If I was just a good enough parent and accomplished these things, then over time, if I don't see that, then what has to happen? 
I'm crushed. If I just had this kind of romantic relationship and over time if it didn't happen the way I dreamed, what happens? I'm crushed. I've lost. If you believe your righteousness is something you can accomplish, you'll either be crushed or you'll believe that you can do it. And you'll see that you did do it. And you did accomplish it. And what will you, by definition, necessarily do to those who didn't keep your law? You'll crush them. If your righteousness is something you can accomplish, you don't accomplish it, you'll be deeply insecure. If your righteousness is something you can accomplish and you do accomplish it, you will be prideful and you will be abusive to others. Every time. You think you kept the law. They didn't. Well, that gives you a reason to condemn. That gives you a reason to ostracize. So Paul says, going back to that stuff and embracing that as my righteousness, that is like embracing a pile of poop. And you say, that's revolting. And I say, that's the idea. It's revolting. And I want to tell you, in the, to the measure that I have learned this, it is revolting. I have my temptations to false righteousnesses. I have those. I have had my condemners, and I have believed them for a moment, and it ruined my stability. I wasn't standing firm. And at this point in my life, I can agree with Paul and say, looking to anything other than Jesus for my righteousness is revolting to me. I want nothing to do with it. It steals your joy. Paul, Paul's emphasizing this so powerfully. If you want to stand firm, rejoice in the Lord. Watch out, too. Watch out for false righteousnesses because the treasure, it's not something you can do. The treasure is someone you can trust. It's not something you can do. It's someone you can trust. Look at verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. And this word means something like the greatest treasure, the ultimate thing, the most beautiful thing. This is the shining like a light in the darkness. This beautiful, wonderful thing. My, the arms of my heart can only hold so much when it comes to my righteousness. I had the pedigree and performance. I'm dropping it, and now I'm clinging to the surpassing worth. It's not something I can do. It's someone I trust. And what's his name? It's Jesus. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In order. Your heart has two arms on it. And it's going to look for joy. And the way it looks for joy is to find its righteousness. It says, I'm enough. And it's going to grab onto something. What's it grabbing onto? I'm young. I'm intellectual. I'm attractive. I'm successful. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm smart. I don't know. What is it? What are you grabbing onto? Drop it. Drop it like a pile of poop. And hang on to the one thing. It's not something you can do. It's someone you trust. 
I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Remember back in verse 3, he said, We're the circumcision. We worship by the Spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus. We boast in Him. We look to Him and Him alone to give us what our hearts need. Verse 9, Paul says, I just want to be found in Him. And what does he not want to have? Look at this with me. What does he not want to have? This is important because some of you think Christianity is following the rules. That's what you think it is. And you'd be a good Christian if you follow the rules. And if you do follow some of the rules, you're good. And if you don't follow the rules, you're not. I want you to see what the apostle, the, the vocal proclaimer of Christianity says about this. I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I have no interest in that. I am not looking at myself and seeing if I'm a good person based on my obedience. That is dung to me. But I thought that's what Christianity was. I thought I was being a good person. Oh, come on. Come on. You can't keep your own law, much less God's law. Have you ever had somebody do something to you that bothered you, made you so angry, and if you were honest with yourself, you realize you've done that 10,000 times? Can you keep your own law that you apply to others? Please. God's law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. We all just failed. Love your neighbor as yourself. We all just failed. Thou shalt not lie. One of you is like, I'm good. Oh, now you failed because you just lied. <laughs> it's a dumpster fire. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But look with me. Here's the treasure. Open up your heart and put this treasure in. That which comes through, through what, church? Faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. What is faith? It's looking to something else. It's a trust. It's a grabbing on to someone else's strength, someone else's word. Faith, looking to Jesus. Listen, this is what we have. The only righteousness we are interested in is that which comes through faith in the person of Jesus and what he's done for us. Through faith, his life was for you. What does the, the God Almighty say when he looked at Jesus' life? What did he say? Perfect. And if you, in your sorrow and your weakness and your confusion and your failure and your past and your doubt, if you look at Jesus and say, I trust you, then guess what the Father gives you now? His Jesus' perfection is yours. And he looks at you and says what? Perfect. How do I get that? I can't do it. I know. Righteous is not something you do. It's someone you trust. It's his perfection given to you. Through faith, his death for you. Ponder for a moment your sins. How many times have I asked God to send me to hell with what I've loved and what I wanted and what I've done? It's countless. It's countless. And I don't even know about the sins I have yet to do. I'm assuming there are some. 
to know that by faith, what Jesus did on the cross is accounted to me. And that the Father looks at the cross where Jesus was bearing on himself the wrath of God that God's people deserve for all their sin. And God's word is this to you, forgiven. Forgiven. Every sin, past, present, future, everyone, come on, test it. What about the dark one no one in here knows about? What about the one that's coming to your mind that still stings? And you think, oh, why did I do that? And it still, it still shames you. It still scars you. You still wear it. And you still wonder, I don't, I don't know if there's any way to get out of this one. It was too awful. Church Christ died for that sin. And it is paid for. And if you look to Christ by faith, not according to what you can do, but trusting in what he's done, the Father says to you, forgive it. Through faith, his resurrection. You know, Jesus is alive today. Can I get an amen? He sits at the right hand of God. And one thing that he is doing with his resurrected life schedule is interceding for his people constantly. And so the Father hears your name in his ear from the mouth of the Son who lived, died, and rose for you. And he reigns. What's the resume of your heart? I want you to learn one thing. Jesus. Go ahead and hold it up to the world. What's the resume of your heart? What gets you in? Jesus. How in does he get you? Let's think of the eternal throne room of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their love for one another and their holiness. And guess what room the resume of Jesus gets you into that one. You're in. The bride of Christ, you're in. The body of Christ, you're in. Children of God, you're in. What's your righteousness? Jesus. 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 How are you going to stand firm? Your safety is joy in the Lord. You got to heed the danger. What's the danger? Somebody out, somewhere out there, somebody, maybe it's your own heart, is feeding you the idea that you, is righteousness is something you can do or perform. Drop that like a pile of and cling to the treasure, knowing that righteous is not, righteousness is not something you do. It's someone you trust. He gets you in. Now the fourth step, pursue the goal. Pursue the goal. You see in verse 9, Paul's saying, I just want to be found in him. Verse 10, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I'm a share in his sufferings. I want to be like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What do you see? You can, you can believe, I hope you all believe the, the gospel truth given in a propositional statement, right? I'm a sinner. Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead. And if I trust him, I'm made right with God. I'm forgiven of my sins. I hope you believe that. That's the gospel. But a, but a reality for sinful, broken humans like me and you is that we can believe something and still not quite believe it. You can have a formal theology. This is what you check on a paper. But it's not the actual theology of how your heart works. 
And so what we want to see happen, what Philippians wants to see happen, is this truth, this propositional truth of who Jesus is and what he's done by the Holy Spirit instilled into your heart to where it's not just something you'd say to answer a question, it's something your heart clings to. Clings to. Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. And when your heart clings to it, there's only one road left for you now. When your heart finds its joy in Jesus as your righteousness, you just can't stand to be anywhere else but with Jesus. Where does Paul want to be found? In Jesus. It's funny language, right? Where's Paul? I'm looking. I don't know. Is he here over there? Oh, he's in Jesus. What does that mean? He's unified with Christ by faith, right? When, when God sees him, where does God see Paul? In Christ. And he just wants his life to reflect that. He wants his mind to reflect that, his heart to reflect that. Galatians 2.20, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But, but what? You remember? Christ who lives in me. In the life I live now, in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me gave himself up for me. I just want to be found in him. And look what he wants now, verse 10. When Christ is your righteousness, I just want to know him. He's a person. Do you know he's a person? You can know him. I just want to know him. I want to be close to him. I want to follow him. I have intimacy with him, a relationship with him. I want to know the power of his resurrection, Paul says. What does that mean? It's his new life in you. Getting changed desires to love what he loves. To work out your salvation because he's working in you. A new life because Jesus is everything to you. He's your righteousness. He's your past. He's your present. He's your future. And Paul says, I even want to share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. What does that mean? It means a lot. We're going to go into it more detail next week. Sharing his sufferings, doesn't it mean a little bit to die to your selfishness and sin? What did Jesus do for others? He died. And what's he call us to do? Take up your cross daily. Die. I had a good friend tell me about a moment when he felt deeply rejected by some people. And he felt bitter about that, like we all would. Angry about that. But he was trying to meditate on this text. And you know what popped for him? Jesus was rejected. Jesus was rejected a lot. How did he respond? Oh, he didn't end up bitter, angry. Wow, he, he did it in a different way with love for the glory of God. You know what? As you walk through your own rejection with Jesus, going through it like he went with his, through his, you're walking with him, you're knowing the fellowship of his sufferings. The suffering part we don't like, but what part do we like? Fellowship. You know sometimes when you'll feel closest to Jesus? It's when you suffer with and for him. You want to forgive somebody who hurt you? It hurt you bad. It's hard to forgive. You can't let it out. You can't let it up. The fellowship of his sufferings. What did Jesus do? He forgave you. He went to the cross for you. And when you take that pain of forgiving somebody else, guess who you're walking with? The fellowship of his sufferings. Ultimately, Paul says, I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Real righteousness gets you a real resurrection. Let's just end with this. 
Paul said earlier, remember, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And why is it gain to die for Paul? Because he gets to depart and be with Christ. And that new resurrection is to get a new body that is fit to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. When you find your righteousness in him, you can't live life without him. You just can't. And you want to know him. You want to be found in him. You want his power in your life, even to the fellowship of his sufferings, to rise from the dead and be with him forever. Hey, guys, God wants you to stand firm with maturity, thriving, stability. These are what you have to have. What do you have to, what do you have, to have to stand firm? Rejoice in the Lord. The second thing you need to watch out for in order to stand firm is look out for those who are telling you that righteousness is something you can do. You look them in the eye when it looks real blingy and it's condemning you and making you wonder. You look it in the eye and you say, not my righteousness. Because the treasure is what? Christ. It's not something you do. It's someone you trust. And when you have him, you're going to press on to know him and suffer with him and have his resurrection life and rise from the dead and live with him forever. And guess what we'll be as we have those four things? We'll stand firm. We'll be stable. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we love you. You are our righteousness. No one else, nothing else. We don't want it. We're dropping it. It's over. I'm not a good person. I'm not some special, uh, special amazing pastor. I'm not the perfect father. I'm not the ultimate husband. I'm a child of God through Jesus Christ. That's enough. That's more than enough. Lord, give that treasure to people this morning. Let them feel it. Let them hit them in deep places they haven't hit it before. And give them new joy in Jesus. A new stability in him because of who he is and what he's done. Bless the rest of our time, Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper together, as we worship. Help us just to pour out our hearts in joy for for who you are, what you've done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.